Welcome to West of North London, where we're feeling some growing pains. I'm Caleb. And I'm Tim. Tim, I I I feel like we um we're only three games in, but I feel like every week feels like a little roller co- mini roller coaster now. Yeah, I mean I, I I feel like the expectations level is so much higher this season that uh I think, you know. I live and die a lot more on these draws and eventual losses. I think they're going to hit a lot harder than they did last year. Last year, I could always be like, mm-hmm. eh, we're like, you know, it was with house money. Whereas this year, I, I personally have realistic or heightened expectations of the team. So games like the one we're about to talk about uh, hit a little bit harder, I think. Yeah. I mean, I guess when I say it's been a roller coaster, I, that that could describe like every season with Arsenal. So it's really, <laughs> I, I shouldn't expect anything different. Yeah. Unless you're uh, undefeated throughout the season and win three nil each day, your, your, uh, your, your season's going to be some ups and some downs. But then that becomes the invincible season where you're on the edge of your seat, hoping that they get the <laughs> complete that. So, you know, yeah. I, guess, um, I guess that's why we uh, keep on tuning into these games. I know there's always a storyline. There's always something to, to get in, invested in. Uh, let's let's talk drinks. Uh, what do you have in your hand this week? I'm going for a little bit of a curveball, which I uh, picked up a <laughs> bottle of Spanish wine in uh, uh, celebration, I guess, or anticipation of the uh, Champions League uh, campaign. I felt it would be very continental to have a have a glass of wine this time. It's a Spanish wine called La Grania as a giant floating pig on the label, which is pretty much why I bought it. Uh, it's a Tempranillo, <laughs> which is a nice red mm-hmm. wine. I'm a red wine person from Spain. Um, completely vegan. I got it at Trader Joe's, so it's probably available where you go. I have not had it yet, so let's let's see how it goes. It's a twist-off, which always makes my life yeah, easier. Classy. I thought you might go from twist-off straight from the bottle. Oh, I I messed up. That's really what I should have done. I'm trying to pretend <laughs> like I'm classy. I got. I mean, I have a plastic wine glass that I stole from a restaurant. So, uh, hey, plastic is is the best for wine, from what I hear. Yeah. So here we go. It's good. It's not the best red wine I've ever had in my life. It's good. It's solid. Um. Pretty, uh, pretty light. Also, like I generally go for bigger reds. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Merlot personally, and this is definitely like less fruity, more earthy, a little bit lighter. So yeah, I mean, I would buy again. I mean, the price was right; it was under, well under ten dollars. So can't complain too much. Mm-hmm. I should probably get the percentage because we do that for beers. I'm gonna guess around fourteen percent if I can find it quickly. Thirteen point five. There you go. So if I finish this bottle by the end of the podcast, uh, yeah, things might get interesting. Tr- trouble. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, speaking of curveballs, I'm going extra curvy because I don't, I don't have alcohol in my drink today. Oh. I just have some sweet, sweet electrolyte drink. <laughs> <laughs> Is that noon I see there? Or? Uh, it's, um, oh, I forget what this one's called. It's, it's something. <laughs> it's some name I can't remember. Where did I put the wrapper? Are you uh, are you uh, recovering from a hangover, or why? Uh, or did you just go on a well, run? You would think so. No, I just uh, I had I've had a headache all day, hmm. and no amount of Advil seems to be doing the trick. So I'm trying to hydrate and see if that's 
the missing link here. That's fair. That's something uh, I forget to do is hydrate. So yeah, good on you. Yeah. This one is called, I think it's called Tactical. Oh. I don't know where I got this. It's just, uh, yeah, one of those things that appeared in my kitchen and now I am ingesting it like it's normal to be <laughs> drugs for all I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm personally a big fan of uh, Noon, N-U-U-N. Mm. You're going to get most grocery stores. It's a Seattle company, which is always nice to support local. And uh, it is the best hangover cure known to man. It's just pure electrolytes and flavoring. So, Yeah, right now this is giving me a little more life. So I'm, oh, good. I'm grateful for it. Um, so to push on, we've got a Timbit, which... Let's let, let's let's see what you got. I I I hear it was borrowed. Yeah, I'm 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 a I'm a horrible thief, but I do want to uh, thank uh, Joe Robinson and uh, thank you so much, Joe, for letting me steal this bit. It was a I thought it was a perfect Tim bit, so I just decided to use it in this uh, in this section. Otherwise, we were going to talk about shoulder injuries. So I think this is a <laughs> lot more fun. Uh, he asks if you're going to the away games during the Champions League. I would say. What would have been your ideal draw? Hmm. Your ideal draw for going to Champions League games. So where do I want to travel in the world? Or which team do I want to see? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I have like, I when I looked at it, I had a three-pronged. It's like, what city did I want to go to? What mm. stadium specifically did I want to go to? And what would be the best for Arsenal? So kind of like a... Oh. Three different vying things. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, that's that's tough. Yeah. I I think I think uh, Barcelona would have to be pretty high on my list. I think that that is a place that is a team that is a a, a stadium. All three of those that checks a lot of boxes for me. Although our luck against Barcelona has not been great, but on the first yeah. two. Things I would agree with you that that would definitely be a a, a dream scenario. It would be a ton of fun, right? Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking less less for Arsenal, more for me. Yeah. So you know, they would. We'll just have to assume they'd get out of the group based on the other <laughs> the other teams <laughs> we're playing. But yeah, for me, I think that would be the, the place I'd want to be. Um, I've also I like I need to I want to circle back and um, actually go out of the airport in the Netherlands. Yeah. So. Um, that I would, I don't, I don't know much about the stadiums there as far as what would be the best experience. But, um, since we did already did draw, a, a Dutch team, I guess that's, that's less exciting. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, uh, our draw, as far as this question goes, our, our draw is, our current draws is pretty spot on. Like I, I think Sevilla, Sevilla is a cool little city and a, a fun stadium to go. PSV stadium is is definitely a uh, one I think Jonathan King Minios would uh, disagree, but uh, <laughs> it's a, it looks like a pretty fun stadium. I don't know a ton about Lens, but it's France. Can't go wrong, but uh, we'll get more into that. Yeah. But uh, the other side is uh, Feyenoord, I think, would it, for if you're looking for a Dutch team, that stadium is rocking and fun to watch when I watch it on TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking over the list. What was what was your number one? Number one. I don't know if I have a number one, but I definitely have three others. 
that I, and I kind of did it also of cities I've been to, I'm going to cut out because I like to travel to new places. So, you know, like I've been to Istanbul, mm-hmm. I've actually been outside of Galatasaray Stadium. I've been to Berlin. Otherwise, I'd love to go to that stadium. Uh, so I think number one actually would be uh, Serna Zvezda, Red Star, Belgrade. I've heard Belgrade's an awesome city. I love Eastern European. And if you want to talk about atmosphere, that stadium is insane. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Then I think I would go the next one high, high on my list. And I think would be a decent draw would be uh, Napoli. Yeah, I, I thought about that one as well. I think uh, you, could, you couldn't go wrong with location and, and food and experience there. Yeah. And then, yeah, you've got you've got a great. Uh, a great soccer atmosphere as well. Yeah. And like the best pizza in the world. I mean, mm-hmm. it's where pizza is basically invented. So, yeah. What's your second? I would one? eat my way through that. I would eat my way through that city. I, yeah, I think Napoli was was my my number number two or three. I guess I I put uh, put them right in there. Um, and your final yeah, choice? I, I don't. As far as um, I I feel like it, it would have to be a country that I I really would like to go to Germany, but I don't know. If if like Dortmund, I, I'm not familiar with either one of the um, the cities enough to decide where it would be the best. But I, I think seeing a game at Dortmund would be would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think I would uh, definitely Dortmund was my third choice for sure to finish out the group. I, I Dortmund is my Bundesliga team. I've never seen a, a game there. Germany is awesome. I've been to a couple of cities in Germany. My, the other choice I do would be Ber- Union Berlin because their stadium is awesome and Berlin is the most fun I've had in a city. But uh, I've already been to Berlin, so I kind of chalked that off my list uh, by mm. default. But I think you couldn't go wrong with either of those two. I think seeing Union Berlin's first Champions League game, that ticket is going to be impossible to get and so much fun if you do get into that stadium. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to be insane. I mean, have I told you about uh, Berlin, Union Berlin Stadium? Um, maybe, but it's been a while. The Union Berlin Stadium was literally built by the fans. They donated over 40,000 man hours, I believe, or person hours to build that stadium. So it is a stadium built by the fans and it's, it's called the, uh, translates to the stadium in the forest and it's in Berlin in the middle of a giant kind of park forest area. So you go through this park and you get into this really cool, intimate, wonderful stadium and then their fans are absolutely insane so i if i hadn't gone to berlin before that would have been high on my list i i I think you can have a pass if you want to go back yeah you're allowed to break your own rules (laughs) so we're we're going with barcelona slash uh red star belgrade uh and then we both very much agreed on uh on uh I'm already forgetting. <laughs> uh we liked uh, we liked Dortmund. Dortmund. And there's one another. Why are we we're both forgetting? I this. totally closed my windows that had the list of teams. Um Oh Napoli. Napoli, that's right. Yeah. So yes. yeah. I I think we're do or do we're going on this trip together. Yeah, let's do it. When we get that draw. <laughs> I mean, it, okay. So looking at that as a group though, 
if we had Barcelona, Napoli, and, and Dortmund, that would be a pretty tough group. That would be an insane group. Yeah. <laughs> That's why maybe uh, Red Star and Union Berlin. So we do Barcelona, Red Star, Union Berlin. That's a much more uh, palatable that, group. That's feasible. I see us in the top two of that group. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I would love to be able to do that. Just travel. And it's too bad that games aren't more condensed, but maybe um, you, could, you could try to get to at least one of those. But it would be cool yeah. if you could try to get 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 to a, a an away game. Um, each each one of them would be a, a trip in itself. That would be pretty pretty awesome. I mean, that being said, I should look and see when the dates are because going to the uh, trying to get into the PSV Champions League game would be a fun fun little trip this year because you know, as you said, Netherlands would be a, a fun country to visit, and I know him too. Coven's a cool city and it should be a good game. We're going to get into that later, I'm sure. But yeah, but we will uh, shortly here. So um, let's let's first talk about this game that happened last weekend uh, with Fulham before before <sighs> we, we get to, to the. Yeah, we, we got to take our medicine here. Um, then we'll get to the sugar later, I guess. <laughs> uh, the. Like I said earlier, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster, and I think, despite what our record is, uh, it has. I think, like you said, that that expectation level is so high now that the the draws are going to seem like losses a little bit more this year because it is two points out the window when you're going up against um, Man City and potentially others. I mean, we we. It was a bit of a two-horse race last season, but that is not to say that is going to be the case this year. So every point dropped is is a little more um, devastating, especially, or, I mean, it, I, a lot of people will be like, oh, well, if you're going to drop them and get them early in the season, but I don't think there's a, a good point to drop points this year. No, I mean, at the end of the day, a point away is always a point away. And any team in the league, except for possibly Luton and Sheffield, is going to be a, a difficult team to play away. Uh, I think more than anything, this does feel like points dropped, though. If that makes sense, that we were—it was a goal in the first minute and a goal practically in the last minute that uh, really, really turned this game around and caused it to be a draw. So it's it, it, if you and especially with the red card, I, it really feels like a game that we we should have done something more with. Yeah, and I think that's that is part of why it's frustrating, um, because it it was at home, and it's not like we played badly for the majority of that game. It just seems like the last or the the lapse in concentration um, in early in and late in games has has bit us more often than it should, and it's. Um, I guess it's just a little frustrating to to have that kind of snatched away at the last minute there. And it's it's never never fun to have a draw, but you know, when it gets when it comes together like that with a, a, a late lapse, it's it seems like a a little extra twist of the knife. Yeah, I I 
don't want to harp on it too much, but it is a trend that's continued from last season, which is letting these early goals, especially these first minute goals go in. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I've lost count of the number, but there were multiple games last campaign that we let a very, very early go game, goal go in against a team that isn't necessarily in the upper echelons. And at a certain point, we need to find what the issue is and address it because it, it, you know, once or twice it just happens. This is just the random fluctuations of, uh, of soccer. But when it's, it's becoming a a visible trend, I don't, don't know if it's the players just shutting off in the early part. We've talked about this a little bit and it obviously hasn't been addressed. Do you, do you have any, any thoughts on that? I just think it's really hard, hard to pinpoint where, What's really happening? I and and I guess you can look at at this this goal with with Saka and and say that's not normal for him. Obviously, like he's typically pretty secure with the ball. He doesn't he doesn't try things and and give the ball away very often. Um, I I don't I I don't know how you look at this other than a, a a full team issue. It's not like one individual or a couple individuals that have a tough time at the beginning of games. It it seems like every player is culpable at some point or another of making these um costly mistakes early in games and it does seem like there's a you, you have to blame it on a um general lack of of focus and I I just don't know what what Arteta can do to tighten that up. I I that's where my my coaching experience uh, is lacking, <laughs> but you know, it, it it's like I I don't know how you look at this this Saka pass and and it's like obviously he didn't want to do that, but yeah. what do you what do you do to coach that out of them? It it just seems like there's got to be um, some way to get get that early focus that they have later in games. Uh, it just seems like obviously there's there's some. Um, something missing that in the early and latter stages of the game that is allowing them to, to let teams in. And I, I don't, I don't get it. Like this is, this is the, he just tees it up for him and there's nothing Ramsdale can, can do once he's caught in no man's land. Like if you're pressed up, this team is very vulnerable, especially when Ramsdale's pushed up out of the box. He's just, he's, he's not able to cover enough ground in that situation when there's a turnover and the, the, the shots coming from that far out. As, I mean, I, I, I was going to ask you, do you think Ramsdale was out of position for that? Not, not the way we play. I mean, the way we, we normally play is he pushes up and, and everybody's pushed up and the entire team is, is on in the opponent's half pretty much when, uh, when Saka turns the ball over and it, it was just like the, the only, the only people going that direction were the two uh, Fulham players. So it just didn't, it caught everybody off guard. It, it was about as vulnerable as you can get. And it, it's not unusual for Ramsdale to press up in that situation. So I don't think he uh, was out of position in the sense that he was um, normally going to m- cover that area. It just unfortunately caught everybody completely off guard when he put the ball in that space. I mean, like just thinking about it right now, do you think that might be part of the issues is that we are so on the front foot when we start games. And that's something even the commentators were talking about is that Arsenal likes to really push forward at the start of the games. And 
dictate kind of the play that way. Do you think that leaves us open for a team that if they just decide to press hard early, they can kind of force an error and really hit back at us early on in games? I think there's something to that, but I don't, I, I, I guess the problem I see is like, you're, you're kind of rolling the dice, right? Like if you push all the, all the pieces in uh, all the chips in early in the game and you get that early goal, Arsenal wins those games nine times out of 10 when they go up first. So getting that pressure on early, really pushing for that uh, goal in the first 15, 20 minutes of games that has worked well for us in the past. But when it goes wrong, it goes way wrong. And that, that, that seems to be something that, that we are um, punished for is almost more than we're rewarded for. Like I, I, For a while, we had a very good streak last season where we were getting ahead early, and then that kind of fell off. And we had a few of those games where we gave the ball away or got ourselves in, in the hole early. And um, it, it seems like it's, we've, we've struggled to be consistent in that early parts of game. And when we, when we get it right, it, it is the way to go, but it, it seems like we're very um, prone to wild mistakes. And, and that, that if you can clean up the mistakes, the strategy is not bad. It's just, they are not seemingly capable of kind of controlling that early adrenaline rush that comes with it. So in a way it's, uh, it's almost like it's a, at part of the design is that we are opening ourselves up for that vulnerability. It's a, it's a lot like Pep Guardiola's stance of playing the, the ball from the back, from the keeper, which is instead mm-hmm. of punting the ball, you, you go. And when a keeper makes a bad pass, it's an automatic goal, but you're willing to take that, uh, bad goal. If the percentages are right. And that nine times out of 10, the keeper is going to pass to the defender and it's going to be right. And you can move through the phases of the play as opposed to a keeper just punting the ball and you're giving 50, 50 balls away. So, you know, when, when the strategy backfires, it, it backfires horrifically, but it should work most of the time. Yeah. And I, I don't know if part of that is part of what's made this, this early part of the season feel a little uncomfortable in that we don't feel quite settled in the way that we're playing from the back and the way that we're building up. I mean, obviously Saka was in a very different position from where he would normally be picking up the ball. I mean, he's at the halfway line. Usually the buildup kind of allows him to push up a little bit more and allows the buildup to um, give us control until we get further up the field. It, uh, it It's just not quite where it needs to be. And I, I, I have a hard time um, putting my finger on like the like why this isn't working based on the players that we have but it it is when you've got party out of position you've got Kivior in there you you've got um Nkedia playing up front you don't have uh the rhythm quite down with a couple new players in in uh, Havertz and Rice so it it's just a lot of disjointed parts that aren't quite clicking yet and i think when we can get some of our main players back into place when we get the Zinchenkos and the Jesus is back in it's it, it will feel a little more smooth and some of these um build up issues will probably right themselves shortly yeah i mean i think uh, i would key on as disjointed has been the theme of this game and probably are the opening games even though we haven't been as 
punished for it, you know, like, mm-hmm. but, uh, I really do feel like it, it, it does feel like a team that is not exactly connecting a hundred percent yet. And, you know, you hit the nail on the head on with party at right back. I, I personally don't love that experiment. I don't <laughs> think it, uh, it works well. And I think you see that through the game. Some of it is kind of by necessity, especially with, uh, Timber, Zinchenko, the amount of injuries we had or have had, and the fact that for some reason Gabriel isn't really starting. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I think there's a little bit of this team is still a work in progress, not in the way it was last year, where it was a work in progress for the whole team. But I think the we haven't hit the gates running this season yet. Yeah, I I think we're um the the I the the baseline and the ideas that we put into place last season should still work, but we're we don't have the personnel in the right places to make that work. And I get being less predictable and I think when even when we do get the right people back in, we're going to look a little different than we did last season. But um it, it's it just doesn't feel like the things that were really working for us are available to us right now. Um, so, but we're, we've, we've been able to make other things work, which is promising. Um, even though we haven't looked as good as we could, we're still up until this last game, we were finding ways to get, get, get the results. And so I think it can only show that when we kind of get used to the way things are, or, or this new, new improved, I don't know, improved, but this new way of looking at things is sure to bring good results in the long run because um, it, it's only a matter of time until the people, new players get more acclimated and we kind of get get the players back that we need to really make this thing uh, kick on. Because it, 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 you got to think we're going to look better with Jesus and Sinchenko in the lineup at, anyway, no matter how what, what the uh, um, tactical approach is. Yeah, and I, I think the 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 spot of the team I was most confident coming into the season has been such a triage act right now where we're we're really, you know, suffering from the loss of timber. We are suffering from that red card to to uh Tomiyasu. Like we've had to have a makeshift backline. I I think, you know, I, I go back to the party as right back experiment and go, I don't think starting the season that was where we envisioned party getting his minutes Mm-mm. and not so, at all yeah so i think uh we're really trying to like scramble with that back line and that has you know uh, uh, affected the whole rhythm of the team because you know it, it's a symbiotic machine that's working together and when one part's kind of missing a gear or sputtering a little you you feel it all the way through the whole other phases of play. Yeah. I still don't. I mean, the entire left side of the team is not really clicking yet. Mm -hmm. And it, that really, um, it has an effect. Uh, And and even look at, you know, Trissard got to start this game. And I, I would say this, the team overall didn't look, that great there was a lot of misplayed misplayed passes and uh it it definitely looked like the the wheels were falling off in a couple moments it wasn't all bad but there was just you know when when odegaard's missing passes and stuff it's just like "Mm, this isn't 
this isn't the game. It's not really coming together. Um, and, and to be down a goal, I think it, it definitely gets in, in the players' heads a little bit. They may be trying a little, a little too hard. They're not quite as relaxed as they would be. So the, the things that would normally come off when you're feeling confident are just not coming together. And in, in, there's no better example of that of, uh, as Trissard. I just felt like he really had a hard time getting going in this game. And to, to, a lot, for a lot of people, I think that was, we were kind of waiting to see what he was going to do this season and see uh, him get a start or see him get some significant minutes just to see where he stood. And he's, he's looked good coming off the bench um, in, in preseason and, and whenever he's had moments uh, up until this point, but I, I didn't really feel like he ever really got, got a foothold in this game. Uh, what was your assessment of, of Jassard coming in? Yeah. I mean, I think you, you've summarized it well. I, I, I was really hopeful with Jassard starting. I, I've, I've liked him before. I mean, obviously you can, you can't, you know, make too many judgments on an one start in the early season to say that it's a, a nightmare or anything like that. I just, I mean, I do think it's indicative of the, the, the team as a whole as well, that, you know, if no one's really firing on all cylinders, it makes just as a rising tide floats all boat, a sinking tide sinks all boats, you know, <laughs> like mm -hmm. a, that, you know, if you have your, your normal players making mistakes and not, not doing as well, it's going to make it harder for the team to click. I do, you know, getting back to that kind of right side, left side thing. I, I, I worry that if our left side doesn't start clicking, that we're going to be overly dependent on the right side, which makes us easy to shut down. If you know where the right. attacks are coming from, mm -hmm. you can shut it down. So I really am hopeful the left side kind of figures it out. And hopefully when the players that we're expecting to come back or we have a few more games under our belt, it starts clicking. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, if um, just kind of working our way through the game here, we had a, a, a shot that was disallowed in the 40th minute from Odegaard. And I was um, really thinking if we went into the half with a with a tie, we would really feel like that the, the game was wide open in the second half. Um, and then the change had to be made at the half to bring in Enkedia in, in for, for Dressard. And so I felt like that was really... Um, a sign of, of where Arteta's mind was and that things really drastically needed to change and how we were approaching the game uh, if we were going to get back into it, which is kind of, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe a little bit worrying um, when you're playing that poorly at home. You know, I kind of would expect if you're, if you've gone down in the situation away from home, you definitely want to make changes to try to get back in it and try to, get some points back but to be in that situation and feel like you need to really um make a halftime sub you know that doesn't that doesn't happen that often for for Arteta for a while early on in his tenure he was doing a lot of tweaking in the half and trying to um get the most out of the extra subs he had during the COVID era and and he was he was trying some things to try to get the best out of the team but <clears throat> for the longest time he's been very uh reluctant to make changes at the half and seems like he's more willing to try and get um you know make tactical changes and, and get more of the players that he has available to him but the uh the Enkedia switch uh i think that was 
uh, a, a sign that 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 he was not happy with how things were going with Trissard for sure. Well, I think uh, he made the sub at half because he we needed to be a little bit more direct. We need really need, and I think that's. I feel like this is going to be my uh, weekly segment where I uh, apologize for being always so harsh on Enkedia. <laughs> and remind me when I start being harsh on Enkedia that I, I say these nice things about him as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I think you like you what Enkedia's strengths are is he's a direct striker. He is he's very much Trissard is a I wouldn't, you know, classify him as a a striker. I'm pretty sure actually on a fantasy he's always classified as a midfielder. He uh he has the offensive abilities, but he's not like a straightforward striker. And I think that's what Enkedia brings. And I think I Arteta saw that we just needed more directness and, you know, not to get too hard of, uh, ahead of ourselves. He did reward that, that, that insight of, you know, scoring a goal by being direct. Yeah. I do think that it got, um, you know, once we got to the 56th minute, he made a couple more subs uh, to bring in, Zinchenko for party, which was interesting, mm-hmm. uh, and then bringing off Havertz for Vieira, and I think that got us into a little bit more of a familiar shape with um, White able to slide into that right back position. Zinchenko playing his natural left back role, and then um, Vieira, I just felt like kind of fit that left left side a little bit better than Havertz did, and was actually able to to make some more things happen. And I think he had really an outstanding game. One of the best I've seen him play play um, with Arsenal. Oh, 100%. I, I, you know, we've been pretty down so far on all the players in the team, but the the biggest bright spot for me was Vieira. He got, uh, you know, he drew the penalty. He got the assist on the second goal. Looked lively throughout the time he was on the pitch. I, If he can string more of these together, we have a special player there. Like, he... he, he in some ways, and I don't know if this is just, I don't know, a Portuguese speaking bias or, or whatever. He does kind of remind me of a lot of the things that Martinelli can do as well. Hmm. So to have that type of player, especially coming off the bench that really energizes games is a, is, is a good thing. And if he has more games like this, he's not coming off the bench. He's starting. So. Yeah. I, I think he makes it, it makes a great case um, at, at least for now to be a, a great bench option, but He's gonna push. He's gonna push Havertz to m- start making something happen, mm-hmm. which I think is is an, an, a necessity as as far as Arteta is concerned to get the most out of his starters is to have bench players that are are making an impact when they get the opportunity. So that's exactly what he was hoping for, I think, with with the depth that we've added. Yeah, and I think uh, it's it will be good for Havertz, or at least good for our, the Havertz that's an Arsenal that he's being pushed because. Uh, you know, uh, Havertz still has a question mark over him in the Premier League. And, it, you, know, you know, he, I don't think this starting spot that he's had the first couple of games is guaranteed by any stretch. And, uh, you know, Havertz really does in the next few games have to start showing why we're starting him or Vieira is going to be taking that starting spot from him. So it, it's nice to have competition and, you know, and, uh, uh, Vera knows that if he starts flagging, Havertz is going to be there to sweep up that spot as well. So, yeah, and if he's playing like that, I fully expect him to be a big part of the Champions League team. I just mm-hmm. see him um, soaking up a lot of minutes there because it would allow rest for some players that 
since he can play in multiple positions, he can give rest to some of our Premier League starters and still maintain like a, a solid level. Same with Jassard. Um, you know, with it with the inclusion of those players coming in relatively early. I mean, I think getting three players in before the 60th minute is pretty rare for our, yeah. for Arsenal. Um, but it did change the game, and uh, as you said, Vera drew the, the the penalty that got us back into the game. Uh, Bakaya Saka steps up and and mm. get, and scores this one. So I I'm liking the rotation. I'm li- I like I I said last time when Odegaard scored. Uh, I think it's it takes the pressure off when you've got multiple people that can score from the penalty spot. It, it's it should not necessarily be down to one player every time if if you've got players that can also um throw a goalkeeper off his game you know if everybody's studying Saka and his tendencies then uh it's nice when you can switch it up but to have Saka come back in and um uh, rebuild that confidence again and keep keep going back in that direction I, I feel like he's he's not someone that's going to be deterred when he misses and uh I think in in the back of some people's mind, when he hand, when he gives Odegaard a shot, you, you wonder if there's maybe some hesitancy or something there. But I think him coming back and scoring this shows that he's just he he's fine handing the ball over. It's not necessarily anything else going on. Just him uh, um, sh- sharing the wealth a little bit. But him coming back and scoring this is is, is a good good sign for him. Yeah, no, it's 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 good to see that. Uh it didn't really affect him at all. Not uh, Sokka, not taking that, uh, having Odegaard take a penalty. I think also, you know, it's just shows versatility, you know, keepers can't prepare knowing that Sokka is always going to be the one taking the penalty. It might throw a span on the work for, uh, you know, preparation for all these keepers. And it shows that, you know, Sokka is undaunted, you know, he's taken a lot of slack for his penalties in the past. We don't have to even go into that very much, but, uh, it's yeah i i think it's nice and you know being over reliant on one player to t- fill a position even if it's just penalty taker is a dangerous spot to be and to know that we have multiple players on this team that are willing to go up and take penalties bodes well for random penalties throughout the season and then if we ever get into penalty taking situations such as in the champions league i think it's a a good good thing to have multiple players ready to go yeah, definitely. Um, the uh, the game kept going, and you know it, it with the tying goal. Fulham make a couple substitutions as well. They get uh, Traore in the game. The uh, in the seventy first, and then right away. Well, I shouldn't say right away, but not too long after. The uh, penalty goal, Arsenal score again in the 72nd minute. So quick succession here. And um, Vieira involved in the buildup on this. One thing I was going to ask you is, what do you feel about the goal being scored while an opposing player is down in the box? Do you like Some people, obviously, Fulham fans are going to take, take offense to this. It, it if it happens to your team, you obviously feel like you're pretty like there's lack of sportsmanship, I think. But I I don't feel that when you score. 
I only feel that when you get scored on. So I feel like it's one of those things where you kind of just have to take it as like it's going to wash with the the run of the game, you know? I don't. I I think a I don't get mad when that happens to Arsenal. I think the thing I was taught to do when I played was to play to the whistle. And that's hmm. any situation. Uh, obviously, if you as a player feel like someone's injured, you can kick the ball out. But it's these players aren't medical staff. These players aren't, you know, it's not their duty to assess a situation and go, well, that person's really injured, especially with the amount of uh, players that go down easy and will, uh, you know, milk something and take strategic advantage of it. I, you put that squarely in the referee's hands. That's their job is to, their referee's primary job is, is player safety over anything else. And then the interpretation Mm -hmm. of the rules. And so if the referee is not blowing the whistle, it's, it's all fair game, you know? And I, and I truly believe that both sides of it. And then, you know, as I said, like in the heat of the game, in the moment, you as a player shouldn't go look around everywhere and go like, oh, this player's down. I better um, knock the ball off out. Like you didn't, you probably didn't see actually what happened. You don't know how bad the injury is, whether it's just a player going down, whether it's a cramp, you know, it's you, you play to the whistle and it's up, it's a hundred percent up to the, the referee to stop the game. Yeah, I, I agree. And if it's, um, if it's something they, that there was a foul involved, then it'll get called back. So you, mm-hmm. you got to just, you got to play like there is nothing happened. Yeah. Cause I mean, unless it's literally someone getting a severed head or something where like mm-hmm. it's, but yeah, as you said, like if there's no foul involved, that's just them's the breaks, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it, I, I'd never really get on board with the, that being against the spirit of the game or, or, right. or whatever. I mean, there's, there's plenty of times when a, a player gets injured and then leaves the field of play and you're up, you know, uh, te- or by a, a player for, uh, until they're allowed back on the field. So, you know, there's plenty of times where that player isn't even on the field. So yeah, obviously sportsmanship should be sportsmanship, but that doesn't really fall on the line of sportsmanship. And to me, it, it shouldn't be up to the, an individual player's discretion. It always should be up to the referee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Arsenal are up 2-1, and you think, well, it's the 72nd minute. All we have to do is see this out. And, they, you know, we uh, bring off Odegaard, bring in Jorginho to kind of lock things up in the midfield a little bit more, bring some additional control. And 87th minute, Arsenal off a, a corner just fall off the rails again. <laughs> I, this is, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'd blame anyone specifically, but it, as a as a team that's defending, should be defending for their lives at the end of a game, it just didn't feel like there was much uh, that they did to to disrupt this. It's it's a quick one. I'll give them that, but um, yeah, I, I think getting into this position again late in games is, is it's killer. I, I might get a little Arsenal fan TV ranty about this at this point <laughs> with, but the, in my mind, if you're a player up in the 87th minute, 
Oh yeah, we didn't talk about the being a player up. I forgot about that part. There is no excuse for you to give up a goal. Really, mm-hmm. like in in my mind, you should if you're up, you should be able to close that game out. And it's it it, it, it to me it's it is a little inexcusable. That's it's probably the harshest words I've said about Arsenal in a while. <laughs> but uh <laughs> I just I, I don't get it. Uh it's a, I think it might also be related to why we let goals in in the early part of the games is that the players just mm. sh- switch off and you need mm-hmm. to be switched on for 90 minutes. And we seem to do that against teams that are maybe the players consider at our level, but especially against these smaller teams. And, you know, again, it's a trend from last season. We saw a little bit of where we were, letting in some late goals, especially against, you know, teams, quote unquote, lesser. I'm not going to call them lesser, but teams that we really should be able to close games out of. And it's, it's, it's absolutely frustrating. Again, I, I, I don't, I just watched the replay of that before we started recording and I couldn't really point out an individual player, but you know, you can't give them those set piece opportunities. You can't give them corners. You can't give them, their shot to get back in the game. And that's unfortunately what happened. Yeah. I, I don't know that I'm, I'm ready to to blame an individual in this one, but it, as a team, you just can't, can't be in this position. And um, it's a, it's a nice goal from Paulina. I think yeah. he's, uh, he's clearly a really good player. Um, I think he's, I think he's going going to end up getting sold in this window actually yeah i mean um, i've always liked him as a player like i, I think he has, he's a pretty handy player individual brilliance yeah. and all that but it's, if you didn't want to apportion blame to any one player on that set piece it's also the idea that you don't give up that set piece you don't let him get mm. into those positions late in games you should be a player up against fulham able to dominate possession and really keep it on their side of the pitch yeah, and it's it. It was at, at that point you don't want it to be anyone's game late in it at home. I think a, a team like Fulham's going to come in and feel like they have a shot to snatch it away from you, mm-hmm. and they're you know nine extra with nine extra minutes. Uh, it, it really could have gone anybody's way, and there was a couple opportunities that were real solid ones i mean viera had a flying almost overhead scissor kick thing that almost went in <laughs> which was uh, would have been amazing but um not not to be and then uh, i think it was treore that had ended up getting a nice um run down the side that Saliba wasn't able to stop and ramsdale i think had to stop it with his face um <laughs> and so you know, it even even to the last few minutes, it was um, there was a, a a flurry of activity, but it, it didn't. I just hate being in that position. It's really frustrating. It, it's 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 too early to be giving up points at home. It, there's yeah. there's just no, I shouldn't even say it's too early. There's just never a good time to give away points at home. That should be the fortress. Yeah, I mean and. To be honest, you shouldn't be in the position where they can score a goal and tie it up. You really, at the end of the day, you need to be clinical and finishing chances as well. Mm. There are plenty mm-hmm. of chances throughout this game to be uh, to be finished and to 
you know, get that two goal cushion. And, you know, it's just, you need to be clinical. I don't mean to be doom and gloom. A point is a point and I will take it. And at the end of the year, we'll see where our points tally, but it, uh, we, we, we really did need to both finish this game in scoring more goals and finish this game off by not letting that goal in. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, we should um, move on from this game. I think that is the, the, the healthy thing to do for everybody is to move yeah. on because we do have a big game coming up this weekend. It is um, maybe not the game you want to be coming off a disappointing tie, uh, but it, it is potentially a, a better Man United than we saw last season. But they they look uh, like they could have some uh, vulnerabilities. We'll say. I mean, this is going to be a, a spicy game. I'm I'm actually really looking forward to this game. I think it should be a good game. I I think Man United have flattered to deceive. They shouldn't have won the first game mm. by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. They got some very lucky calls and really got dominated. And it was against palace. If I remember correctly. And, uh, just were lucky to squeak that out. I think man United is in a very similar position where we are, where they have talent and they have players, but it's just, it really isn't clicking. I've seen all three games of theirs and they haven't been, convinced by any of them even though it's been positive results for them i i think we match up really well i think it's 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 going to be a fight it's going to be a close game i think there's going to be goals in it i I, if you want my prediction out of it it's going to be three two to the arsenal like i i think we win this game but it's not going to be a straightforward victory and they are going to score against us. They have a lot of good offensive weapons. I just think that their their defense isn't isn't one hundred percent clicking at this point. I do think there's going to be a red card in this game. If I I'm not a betting person, <laughs> but if I were a betting person, I'd bet the uh, there would at least one red card in this game. I feel like the red cards are flying early and often this season, so mm-hmm. it's just going to be one of those years, especially if. Red cards are flying, then they're certainly to come our way. Yeah, and especially and if they keep on doing the time wasting, all we can hope for is that it gets applied evenly. The cards, this game, as opposed to other games we've played. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm actually going to lean towards a draw on this, Ooh. which is me being a little pessimistic, maybe. But interesting. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I I'm hopeful for a win, but you know. I'm not. We'll have to see the the lineup. It is it is encouraging that we did see Jesus come back at the end of this last game and well ahead of where I thought we would be in this season um, to to have him involved at all. So I'm I'm hopeful he's close to coming back full time, but I, I don't know that he's going to be ready for this this game. Um, but it, it would. I think to me that would make a big difference as far as how we approach this game. And so if he uh, isn't able to start, then my my odds dip more towards a draw than a win. If you want a uh, Tim hot take after a couple of glasses of wine, I think Enkedia is showing that he deserves to start over Jesus right now. 
Mm-hmm. And this comes from a person who isn't necessarily high on Enkedia. Uh, but I think right now with the rate he's scoring and what he offers as a direct striker, I kind of would rather see him until he proves that he's not scoring. I can make the case for both. I feel like you're you're right that he's more likely to score and to um, get into some dangerous positions and, and make some dangerous shots. Uh, he's not necessarily um, going to do the other stuff that unlocks <laughs> the people around him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the it, it, with Jesus back in the lineup, it makes our left side better. It makes mm-hmm. Martinelli more effective. Uh, it potentially brings in Havertz a little bit more. It opens up space for Havertz. So I feel like there's things that Jesus would do that make the things that haven't clicked yet click. So that, that would be my argument for that. But yeah. I totally can see as far as all out goal scoring, I would lean towards Nkedia. Yeah, I hear you. I like I a hundred percent hear you, but like I'm also a person of uh, going with a hot hand and also mm-hmm. have having Jesus on the bench. It's it's why I do like having different horses for different courses that you know if the direct model isn't working, throwing in Jesus for the last I would it would be an early sub. It'd be a halftime or 60th minute sub. If, if the direct route isn't going throwing in, being able to throw in Jesus and kind of shift the attack away from this point of the spear to the points of the trident. A fun way to, to shift the game and see how United can, can cope. And who knows, maybe they'll start McGuire. <sighs> that guy's not going to see much time this season, <laughs> period. But who knows? It's deadline day tomorrow. Maybe oh, things happen for McGuire. It is deadline day tomorrow. That'll be fun. I'll probably wake up a little early and uh, put on Sky Sports and uh, see other teams panic because I don't personally believe we're going to do anything. But uh, getting back to the Man U game. Yeah, it, it, it's going to be a tough game. Uh, I just, I, I, I do think this game is a winnable game for mm-hmm. sure. I hope so. I really do. I, it, that would definitely be a, a step in the right direction as far as kind of getting things on on track again. Uh, Is it too early to say a statement game? You know, I feel like this this the statement season we had last year um, puts a little less pressure to have an early statement game. I think the statement game for us now is coming out and actually taking it to man city this year yes um but the uh i i think every one of these matchups is going to be analyzed obviously to see if we're still in that hunt to to really stake a claim as far as a um a repeat threat i think we have to win these sort of games but i don't feel like it's the same amount of pressure we had Last year, where we were still trying to prove ourselves, I feel like you can um, take a little less pressure from that. Um, hopefully, the, the players are feeling that too, so they don't, <laughs> they can be kind of relaxed going into these these bigger matchups because they've they've d- been there, done that a little bit more. Um, maybe that's a good transition into Champions League because now we talk about some um, a new experience for some of these players. I I can't tell you I. I didn't realize how much I missed 
Champions League and how much I didn't really even think it was real until the draw happened. And Mm -hmm. I'm so, so (laughs) excited to be playing on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I watch the Champions League no matter what. But to actually have skin in the game for the Champions League, it's, it's, I got excited. How about you? How, I'm how excited you? that it lines up very well with our recording schedule as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm super, super excited to not only be back here, but I think I'm in retrospect kind of being a little more appreciative of being in the Champions League. I feel like in our time away, it's changed a lot. It feels like it it got even more prestigious and the, the level of a lot of the other teams has really stepped up. And for a long time, I felt like Arsenal just weren't really a Champions League team. And even towards the end of when we were in the Champions League in 2017, you know, I felt like we were kind of just hanging on and not really being enough. You know, we kind of just were taking it for granted that we would just get into Champions League and continue to milk that cow. But it didn't really feel like we were pushing to win Champions League. It was just like we were happy just being there and nice to be noticed and glad we're here. And um, I, I just feel like it was just kind of a given. And we we took we did take that for granted and weren't really pushing for the glory and the the prestige that comes from actually winning that competition. And now I feel like being away from it, having not um, had a taste of it for a while, having to deal with Europa League. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives us a little bit more hunger. And I think there's this under, under underlying narrative of this Man City juggernaut that has gone out and won the treble and, and continues to be this dominant force. And it's like anywhere you can kind of nip at the heels of that, that level of, of team and um, kind of chase chase them down a little bit. I think that that is a great a great narrative to to latch on to because I I love this idea of um, almost getting there in the Premier League and now we're chasing them into to Champions League to try to see if we can nip at their heels a little bit in this competition and 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 that's not to say that they're necessarily the um, well, no, they are the favorites. Yeah. I think they've got like one of the easiest draws I've ever seen from the Champions League. But um, you know, I, I they are obviously the team to beat. Um and and I think if we can get get even close to um catching up with them at the Champions League level, I think that would be um huge in terms of kind of getting things back on course and and in uh, the the global football conversation of of uh, uh, a real competitive team. I think it's 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 kind of been this slow rise to get back to hit this spot, and so now it's kind of make, making that next step and actually being competitive in this competition again. Yeah, and as draws go, I feel like this is a middle of the road draw. It is definitely not the easiest draw ever, and I think you have to look at the especially two of the teams in our, our, our group, which is PSV and Sevilla. They both have a great European pedigree. I mean, you, you, you can't mm-hmm. argue with what Sevilla has done in Europe. I mean, primarily in the Europa league, but they know how to mm-hmm. play a cup competition. They are going to be a tough team. It's going to be a slog with them. PSV. I do have the time of day for again, sorry, Jonathan, I know you're 
not in love with that team, but I do think they have again a European pedigree and look look good. Lens is I as I say I don't know a ton about them. I know they're a little bit of a surprise in France last year. I I don't expect it to be a runaway game, but it, it does feel like a step up from what we've been doing in Europa League, despite the fact that I believe we played both these teams in Europa League, if not last year, in the last two years. Yeah, it feels like a very Europa League draw for us. And I think that, that in my mind, that's a positive because it, it is obviously stiff competition. We haven't like necessarily knocked it out of the park in Europa League in the last couple of seasons. Um, so we still have a ways to go, but I feel like our quality has stepped up since last season. So there is that... Um, I do feel like we we match up well with these teams. It's not necessarily a cakewalk, but the, the level the, uh, that we're stepping up, you know, like when you're feeling like you're going from Europa League to Champions League, we could be minnows swimming with the sharks, but I yeah. feel like we're actually kind of minnows swimming with other minnows in, in, a, yeah. in shark-infested waters. So yeah. I feel I, like we, we can hang with this group. I mean, you look at that group, that's PSG, Dortmund, uh, uh, Milan, and... Uh, Newcastle. Newcastle. And you're like, that is <laughs> that is a group That's that rough. is a rough group for everybody involved in that group. I could see, I don't know, I could see any team in there winning that group, let alone qualifying out of that group. Whereas us, as I say, I think Sevilla and PSV will be difficult tests. It's not like walkovers, but it'll be t- teams that are, are beatable. We, I mean, we really, I mean, it puts a lot of pressure on that lens game that we have to win both of those lens games and then mm. really win our home games. Mm-hmm. But it, it is, it is doable. You know, knockout stage is definitely an achievable goal out of that group, as opposed to some of the other groups and some of the other teams we could have pulled. Yeah, I do feel pretty, pretty good about getting to that knockout round, but it is going to be a stiff challenge uh, and not something we should take lightly, but I think it gives us a little bit of flexibility to have some rotation and not feel like we're, we're going to um, get spanked for it. You know, like I think there's, there's some possibility there to see some of our um, non premier league starters get, get some rotational minutes there. And uh, that's a positive for us to, to hopefully get, continue to give people minutes where they, where we can and and keep the whole team kind of moving at the same in the same direction. Yeah, really. And it gives players that are not on the fringes, fringes is the wrong word, but like our non-starters a chance to really much more so than I think in the Europa League really show their quality and make an argument for starting. I mm-hmm. think, you know, if someone like a uh, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Guy got two assists. Uh, Vieira. Vieira. I wanted to say it to Vérez, and that was not correct. Vieira. <laughs> uh, it gives someone like Vieira a chance to really show that in high-pressure, high-quality games, they can do something that's and it's not in the Premier League. So I think you're going to see a lot of those players like Vieira. It might be a chance for Havertz to grab some form because I think the uh, the Champions League will be a better place in, you know, Havertz has excelled more in the Champions League than he has in the Premier League. Some of these players a chance to really show their quality and make an argument for uh, 
why they should be uh, on the starting lineup. Yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to seeing how we attack this. Um especially I think that rotation is is key to to making sure we're able to uh, compete on multiple fronts. So it, it is going to be a, a, an interesting balancing act that Arteta is going to have to face this season and how he does that plus um, deal with the injuries that are already um, causing issues. You know, early in the season, we're having to do more rotation than I expected. So um, hopefully we can get healthy and uh, find a way to uh, get get some of these players into form. Like like you said, if if, if you can have a Vieira who's really pushing um, on the Premier League minutes that he's getting, it, he he does become a shoe in for that that Champions League slot. So uh, it goes both ways, and that's exciting to see how that plays out. Yeah, it'll be interesting too because this is the uh, the last year of the the Champions League as we know it. They're going to change mm-hmm. it up to a Swiss format next year. Because more games, but uh, <laughs> the uh, yeah. the it'll be fun. Like, and for me, this is all I've known. In the Champions League is group stage, knockout stage, this rhythm. So, hopefully, we can uh, send it off with a, a a good bang, and really It'd be nice to win the last one. Yeah. So I'm, as I said, I'm excited. It's why I bought wine for this <laughs> podcast, and <laughs> I. Didn't know how excited it would be until I saw the draw this morning and it, it feels mm. real, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to just blast through a couple of things here before we get to our questions. Um, we had some PFA award winners on the team this season. Uh, big one being Saka winning young player of the year and also Ramsdale, Odegaard, Saliba and Saka making the, the team of the year. Really great to see this group of young players um, winning awards and and making Arsenal putting Arsenal back in the conversation is like a really solid team to have four four four, te- four players in the team of the year is really a a good showing. It's a good showing. Uh, I am pers- not to be a Debbie Downer. I'm personally just not a big fan of individual awards in soccer because it's it's Man. it's it's a team game and these players it's, it's about a team effort, but when you have four players in team of the year, you can show that that see that that's a, a very big reflection on the whole team itself. Absolutely. Uh, and I think, you know, soccer getting young player of the year. Like I forget that soccer is still a young player sometimes because <laughs> he, to <laughs> yeah, me, in my mind, he is an established first team player. That's, been in the furniture he's a piece of the furniture he's been around for a while (laughs) and so it's a good reminder for me that like he's still young and still has so much of a ceiling like his ceiling is the sky at this point and i'm 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 glad i'm sure that they get a little bit more money for that and personal satisfaction from winning those awards so good for them yeah i think in in one of his uh post-award interviews he was saying that his his goals are not necessarily the the individual awards, but winning everything with Arsenal and the and the national team. So I think he he his mindset's right. He's not he's not chasing that balloon door. He's <laughs> he's he's uh he's looking for the team to really shine and helping make that happen. So um, winning everything with Arsenal sounds good to me. I'm I'm in for that idea. I would take a Premier League 
trophy and a Champions League trophy to the entire Arsenal team making team of the year. Although I bet that those uh those might go hand in hand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um and and as I mentioned earlier, the the final day of the transfer window is tomorrow already. So we are um on the precipice of knowing if if we're gonna see the last days of Rob Holding, Cedric, Pepe. Sammy Laconga. There's quite a few guys that need to find some homes in the next 24 hours. I, uh, the funny thing is, this, it, you know, because I am not on the uh, the finance team, I'm not as invested in outgoing as I am invested in ingoing. But mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 nice to have a uh, a transfer deadline where I'm just going to sit there. I, I do watch it on Sky Sports. You can get it on Peacock if you are uh, <laughs> watching. Pay us Peacock uh, <laughs> to... Uh, <laughs> to watch it and just, just have popcorn in hand and see some teams that really do need to make moves. I mean, I'm looking at Liverpool, Man United, some of these other teams that need to make a few more moves and we're pretty much set. I, I'm not going to, you know, say we're completely set and there probably will be a few news stories about the players you mentioned before, but for the most part, we're we're ready, and this is where we're going to till January. So, yeah, just a, a few pieces of business that they did get done since we we last uh, talked. You know, finally getting the Balogun deal across the line uh, with Monaco for I think it was maybe a, a little bit under forty million euros pounds. I can never I I, I don't money. look at the little symbol. One of those <laughs> dollar amounts. Um, but you know, I, I think I saw like a seventeen percent sell-on clause is a potential add-on to that. So I think you know the low, the slightly lower price. Um, you know, I think Arsenal were originally looking for fifty, but I'll take a little off of that with a sell-on because I think Balogun's going to eventually be um, coming back to the Premier League and probably for a much bigger sum at that point. I, if if that does happen, it'd be nice to get a, a little piece back for for that because so this is a pure profit sale, which is really nice to have since he came from the academy. There's no um, net loss there; it's all profit, so that's great. A great piece of business. I think it's a great piece of business. I think you need to we needed to make some money back for all the outgoing we have, and he paid for almost or what is it like two fifths of the. Uh, the rice sales just with one player, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. it's you have at a certain point you have to sell if you're going to bring in new players. And so I'm, yeah, it's not 50, but it's 40. I think that's fair. He could, I, I mean, I think we all are very high on him. Unfortunately, we might see him again against us, but you have to make, I don't, I don't think he really has a sp- Bought on this team as it currently is, and I think that's where we're going. We're not building for the future right now. If this was Arsenal six years ago, this isn't a sale that would have been good. But the Arsenal right now, this is a sale that's good. Hmm. I, I you know you never you never hear all the specifics of a of a contract, so oh, we won't know what we could make back from that, or if there's any any other pieces that would give Arsenal any advantage if he does come back to the Premier League. So. Potentially, we could see him um, back with Arsenal at some point. I don't know if we're going to want to spend big money on bringing him back, but if we, I guess, if we have 
a sell-on, we'd save money. I don't know how that works. I, 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 I doubt that it will happen. But And rarely um, does a player coming back actually work out, you know? No, yeah. But, so. I, you know, it is just a, a matter of poor timing. I don't think it's, it's a lack of talent, and I'm really curious to see how he gets on in um, in France. So we'll, yeah, I mean, I'll, feel, I'll, I'll follow his career and mm-hmm. be excited if he does well, as long as it's not against Arsenal. Yeah, it's good that we got him out of the league, I think. With those yeah. rumors of like Chelsea and some other teams sniffing around, I'm like, just get him out of the Premier League for right now, at least. Yeah. Uh, and a couple to uh, loan um, uh, loan deals uh, for Tyranny, who finds some finds a Champions League uh, team with Sociedad. Um, so he, he gets to get his, his championship Champions League minutes and... Uh, I think that's 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 a solid move for him. It's a solid um, move. It's, it's just it's it's funny because a lot of the rumors we were hearing is that it was he was very homesick among other things, and he kind of <laughs> it's about the opposite of that. Yeah, exactly. I can't imagine any place more different to Scotland than Spain. Yeah, but uh, well, I think it, you look at the t- the teams in the Premier League that are near Scotland and the Scottish teams, and I don't think anybody can afford him. So I think that yeah. was that was a lot of it. You know, he's he he had to take what he could get. And and I've I, I Tierney's a player I have all the time of day for. I think in previous podcasts I've uh, championed him to be a captain of a team. He's a player that I I was close to buying a jersey for. He's exactly as a, yeah. a fan of good defenders. I have that one. Huh. I have that one. I, I just chase players out. I just I can't get names anymore. They <laughs> don't last. I actually don't have names. The only named Arsenal jersey I have is a Wilshire jersey that was given to me. So, yeah, that one's not your fault. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, again, that, good luck to him. I hope he does well. Yeah. I do too. I, I hope he. You know, it's just alone, so we could see him come back. But I, I do think no matter what, it's. Uh, um, important that he gets playing time so his career can push on uh and then last but not least uh Tavares has um locked down a a loan move to Forest uh I think there's an option to buy included in that one uh there wasn't in the tyranny one but yes for Tavares which makes a lot of sense and I hope we're you know I'm imagining that of the players that do go out tomorrow uh, we're going to see a lot of loans with options or loans with obligations. I'm hopeful that we're not having just straight loans for many of these players because we need to get some money. Um, and hopefully the obligations are are, are more uh, than, than the straight loans. But, you know, those are hard, those are hard to pull off in the last minute. I feel like yeah. teams kind of have you over the barrel when you're trying to get rid of players you kind of just take what you can get to get them off your books for the season i mean i'm looking at pepe directly and going Mm -hmm. we need to get them off our books for some amount of money with that that ends our transfers uh do we want to do questions i know you have to go yeah we can do a question we'll make it work okay um okay we got a couple quick ones here from uh We've got one from Tim, other Tim. Um, if Arsenal keeps shedding depth on loan or sale, then does this leave us treading water in the shallows? Uh, yes. <laughs> 
do you feel like we're good? If, if all those players leave that we were talking about and all the ones that have already left, I still, I feel like we have a pretty solid group. No, obviously we're missing, we're missing a timber. There's a hole there, but do you feel like we're more than a player or two away? I, I think we still have January. So I don't, I don't know if we're like left too far out of the, um, the running here. I mean, yes, but we have to sell players. I, this is something I, I, I mm. it's probably my mini drum. You have to, you, the spending a hundred million on rice, spend the money we spent on Havertz, spending the money we spent on timber. Like it's, it's, it's awesome to have lovely new toys, but as we know, as human beings in this world, you can't just spend money. You have to earn money as well. And the the easiest way for a soccer club to earn money is to sell players. And, you know, I think the Balogun sale is a perfect example of that is like, would I like to hoard every single player and have depth that goes down seven players on each position? Yes. But you have you you have to sell and you also we don't have opportunities for these all these players to play. And if you don't give them the opportunity, it's selfish on Arsenal. It makes them less, you know, viable as a play. Like I think the players would get upset. And also I think the players that come in are going to, it's less likely to get players to come in if they know you're just going to sit on the bench. So you have to make space and you have to make Mm -hmm. money. So yeah, it's, is it ideal? No, in an ideal world, we'd keep every single player. We'd still have Nabry. Like, is hmm. it uh, is it a realistic part of the the soccer world? Yes. Yeah, I think you have to acknowledge that if you're not going to give significant time to a lot of these a lot of these players, you just have angry players and uh, more for uh, Arteta to try to juggle. You have to soothe those hurt egos and try to. Um, keep player you know we've been in the situation where we can't register players and and that's just not not great for those players like that's not great for their careers and it sets them back and we just don't want to be in that position so um even though it it can hurt and we might have to pay for it in some areas if we don't have the you know if we have a similar situation to last season where we lose a couple players in in a single position um that that's tough to to plan for because you don't really have a third and fourth guy that are necessarily to the level that you need and there you, you can't really keep that that level of depth uh you know at this level where we're you know we don't have a ton of money to spend on guys that aren't getting starting minutes it's just a, you just can't do it so um it is it is a tough balancing act but i think the only way to get things right is to try to clear out a lot of these players that just aren't in Arsenal's plans in the near term. Yeah. And as you said, near term is the, the, the key part of this is we're, we're not trying to develop for the future. We're trying to develop for the, the now, I think we have a three to four year window in which we're trying to win a major trophy. And then Mm -hmm. if that doesn't happen, then you go back to the other side of the coin of trying to develop some of these younger players. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and then one last question from Joe Robinson. Oh, no, just kidding. We already did that. <laughs> we already did that. Sorry, I thought I deleted it. I must have copied it on the thing. Sorry, that's my fault. We're good. No, it's fine. I'm glad. We're, we're ahead of the game. 
and so we can wrap things up here um thank you all for listening to this week's episode if you haven't done so already go review subscribe wherever you're picking us up and uh join us on twitter or x or no it's twitter i i say it every week i try to this x thing and it's it's never gonna stick so it's yep. at w of n london and uh we're uh i believe we're at western north london on blue sky if you're over there uh email us at western north london at gmail.com join us on discord by clicking the link in our show notes and if you like the theme song check out bobcat at bobc.at and that is all for us this week so as always see you at the next gun show